Hi, and welcome to the Faith That Does Justice podcast, the official podcast of campus ministry at John Carroll University. Join us this semester as we hang out with some of your favorite faculty and staff as we try to figure out what it means to live out a faith that does justice. I'm Ann McGinnis, and I'm joined today by Zach Thomas, who many of you might know, but if not, he's the co-founder and program director for Writers in Residence, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that teaches creative writing to youth who are incarcerated. He grew up in Dayton, Ohio, where his love for reading and writing began toward the end of his high school career at Chaminade Julian Catholic High School. Having moved to Cleveland to study creative writing, professional writing, and literature at John Carroll, he has been a Clevelander ever since. He recently returned to John Carroll to pursue a master's in nonprofit administration. He was a keynote panelist for Lake Cleveland Con conference. He is also an Annisfield Book Board Fellowship um, and currently holds that fellowship at John Carroll. He as well just hosted the Cleveland International Film Festival showing of Since I've Been Down, um, which I recently watched and I'm looking forward to talking to him about that. And he's published essays for Annisville Wolf, Blue Route, among others, and also does photography on the side. So Zach, so nice to have you. How are you today? I'm doing well, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. Well, I'm really excited to reconnect. Zach and I were in a fiction writing class three years ago. Yes. Are you so? Are you still writing historical fiction? Yeah, I've I've moved on just to fiction now. Um, okay, right on. And left the historical part, but I love it. Yeah, I've done some, especially over the summer, when oh, good. I have a little extra free time. But yeah, Zach um saw me exactly six days after I gave birth to the twins when I yep. showed up in the classroom yep <laughs> I was on maternity leave and trying to be all stealth but was really excited about doing the the class and it was a really good time I learned so much from that that experience and I also think like a great friendship formed out of it so I'm really I think happy. so too yeah I mean I, I'd known you from campus ministry but this is more like a, a classmate perspective which is really neat because you know so yeah, I agree. Zach did the Nicaragua immersion in 2017. He was our leader. And then you did a previous immersion as well. Remind us where you went. I went to Nicaragua two times. So <laughs> I went as a, you know, as a regular student on the, on the experience. And then I fell in love and I was like, hey, I got to lead. And that's, what's, that's what happened. So awesome. Yeah. So it's great to see Zach back on campus. Um, and I, I'm really glad he's here today. He does amazing work with this program that he started um, along with a fellow student at John Carroll called Writers in Residence. And to me, that is the heart of living out a faith that does justice. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about your spiritual upbringing and how you became a spiritual person? We ask everybody on the podcast this question. Yeah, so I, I didn't really start identifying as a spiritual person until um, I would say maybe my sophomore and junior year in, at John Carroll um, and a little bit of backstory. So growing up, it was always a pretty, like we didn't really go to church often, but you know, there was a strong belief in, in God and faith. Like my mom always read a Bible um, whenever like times are really tough and like she would always mark it up and like keep like, important things and documents in her Bible. Right. So for me, it was like this living thing. So you would peel through it and you'd be like, Oh, like this is like a check from whatever, or like this might be a little note card or something, you know? Um, and so that was really important to me, but she also welcomed me to go to like other people's churches. So I had a lot of uh, younger friends growing up who were religious. And so sometimes she'd be like, Hey, you should go to like with Amani or Tori to like their church and so on and so forth. And so she was always open to that exposure and then I didn't, I was, I was very Catholic. Um, and I, I still identify on that spectrum in a sense, because for me, like my, my faith appeals to me. I, I think about it two ways, like your, your, your head and your heart. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, like, I really like just the mass itself and how it, it, it requires you to think and pray and talk to whoever you believe in, but also listen to the words uh, um, that are sung because I like singing at church. It's one of my favorite things um, but that are read as well. And I was really fortunate enough, like I went to an Catholic Conception um, Parish in Dayton and Father Satish is an excellent, he gives excellent homilies. And so one thing that nice. was really formative for me was he always said, you know, think like Jesus, act like Jesus. 
Um, there's a third one. Please forgive me for not remembering. But that was like his like slogan. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like it was so simple for me and it boiled it down to, you know, how we should be behaving or living our lives. Right. Um, and so I took all that information Then I went to college and started learning about other religions and faiths. But I started boiling it down to, you know, who, who am I, what am I believing in for whom? And then what am I, what do, what do I actually believe myself? So I started really thinking back to me, what do I want this relationship to be? Right. And I think at the time, because, and I'm just always going to keep it honest, but, you know, I started having a lot of issues with certain decisions that the Catholic institution, the Christian institutions were sort of uh, promoting. And like, that wasn't in line with my own personal values. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of raised in an, an environment where everyone was accepted. If you were black, brown, white, whatever, gay, straight, like you were like always welcome into our house. And like, that was really important to me. So I didn't really see that as an issue. And so when that was like a issue, so to speak, I was like, wait, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why can't we all just get along? You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. um, I say spiritual in the sense of like, for me, it boils down to uh, three things, very similar to what I said just before what I learned um, at my young parish, but you know, God or whoever higher power wants us to do three things, like love ourselves, love our neighbors, love him and love our environment. That's four things. But um, it's sort of, that's, that's how I sort of live my life in a sense and and my faith. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So in this podcast, we're asking faculty, staff, those on campus, how they live out of faith that does justice. And you've done that by being one of the co-founders of Writers in Residence. So can you please tell us about this amazing initiative? Right. Yeah. So Writers of Residence uh, started in 2017, just as a student-run organization at John Carroll and three of my other close friends. And it really sort of spiraled out of Carroll Ballers Program, which I know you're familiar with too. Mm-hmm. So the Carroll Ballers Program would mentor and play basketball with the youth of the Cuyahoga County Juvenile Detention Center. And so I'm not really good at basketball. I tell this story so many times, people are probably <laughs> already know, like, I'm like the worst basketball player. Um, <laughs> But so I just, I, that wasn't my thing. And I came to John Carroll to, to, to really be like a really strong writer. Like I came in um, and knowing what the department had to offer. And I was like, I want to be a really strong writer. So reading and writing was my passion, but I was really interested to start working with this population, particularly because the way I was raised, like there's a lot of overlap, right? There's a lot of people that I know who like went to, who either went to jail or prison or who were uh, almost who, who died by some of the, just where they lived in the community. And so there was a lot of overlap of like, I could be any of those people at any point in my time in my life, right? Mm-hmm. Just particularly speaking to how police target black and brown people um, and in law enforcement. So, so really fast forward, um, you know, we just sort of swapped the basketball piece for creative writing. Could we do the mentorship, but also facilitate a space where, the residents can creatively just self-express and critically self-reflect. And so this is really important too in an environment where there's so many rules, you know, they're stripped down to just like literally their code sometimes or whatever last name they want to be called by. So a lot of the humanities is stripped down and we give them the space to just talk about whatever um, and write about whatever they, they want. And the hope that, you know, they, they we're learning these tools where they can speak their mind and sort of deal with whatever that they have on their chest. Um, and most of the times, like we keep it light and fun, um, which is, I think is the beauty of it because sometimes we all, we all need that pick me up. So, you know, we don't know when we come into a workshop, what happened before we got there. So we just want to, we start with like a five minute, uh, writing exercise of just like a simple question and they're like, okay, fine. Answer the question. And we sort of talk about that and we move into, um, a text that usually relates to the beginning writing exercise. And then we'll read through that, sort of dissect it a little bit, and then generate some discussion questions around that. Usually it's, it's life-related. Like, that's how I de- design our workshops. So we talk about love, life, hate, um, and style, music, whatever, you know, things that make our human experience relatable. Because I think that's the beauty of our, our workshop. Like, I, we come from so many different places, but at the same time, we're the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sort of boils down to that. And so at the end, so then we give them like a writing prompt. They write for like 20 or so minutes and then they share. Sometimes they share, sometimes they don't. No big deal to us. Um, And then after that, we just got to conclude. And we used used to conclude, depending on the facility, we still do, uh, we just like eat food. So like this really, I I would say spiritual aspect of breaking bread, which is really important. 
Um, yeah, and that's that's where the exactly with the fellowship piece, and that's I think where the magic really happens because you think about the writing workshop as an arc. You start at this low point of like unfamiliarity and discomfort almost, and then you kind of get to this high point of like vulnerability and openness, mm-hmm. um, and then you start start just asking like, "Hey, what do you want to do when you get out of here? Hey, like, what is on your mind? Like, you know, I mean, where are you from?" And that's the real relationship uh, bonds. That's where they come from. That's amazing, Zach. And how long has this been going on now? So we, yeah, it's since 2017, 2020, uh, we actually have six cohorts. And so when I say cohorts, it's sort of, the model is like five to seven student volunteers, a cohort advisor, which is usually a full-time faculty of staff of the college. Um, and we work in partnership with whatever local juvenile facility nearby. And so some of those schools are, of course, John Carroll, like I already mentioned, Overland College, Heidelberg, Hiram, um, College of Worcester and Marietta College. Oh, that's so amazing. Wow. We're hoping to like spread all across Ohio because we want this network um, to have access to everyone in Ohio, particularly because, you know, usually when we work with someone uh, in a facility, they're not from that facility. Like they might have been in that area living with someone, they might be incarcerated there, but they usually have roots in like Toledo or Columbus and Cincinnati, whatever, you know, so Mm. it's important for us to have like that, that statewide network. Right. And it all started here at John Carroll. It all started here. It all started here. That's so awesome. Do you um, think you could share with us maybe a short poem from the Writers in Residence collection and tell us a little bit about why you chose the piece and what's the story behind it? For sure. So I'm going to share a poem. Um, it, it was came out this spring, actually right before the pandemic. It's, it's titled 21. It was written by Faith. And so with every cohort, at the end of every workshop, we publish our residences, uh, their creative writing in a chapbook. So it's a 12-week program, the fall and the spring. And at the end, um, they get their own writing back, but in this like nice publication. And so this, the title of the, the chapbook is called A Bullet Has Two Eyes. And I'm going to read you the piece that sort of inspired that title. Um, okay. Okay. 21. I come from the ghetto of 21st. All you hear is gunshots. I come from a place where money low, where a lot of kids ain't eaten. I come from a place where you got to be home at a certain time so your family don't think you're dead. I come from a place where the feds shoot a bullet, has two eyes. I come from a place where you got to check your house to make sure ain't nobody underneath your bed. I come from a place where everybody smokes gas because it heals all the pain. I come from a place where I, you can't even be outside playing without being shot. I come from a place where white people cling the purses on an elevator. So I, I bring up this piece. Uh, oh, I, a little bit behind it. We usually, maybe like week two or week three, we use this, um, this workshop where it's just like, where you saw how you, you kind of listened to how it's every line or stanza, how I'm reading it, it starts with, I come from. Mm-hmm. And that really came about because one of our student volunteers actually was like, hey, like, we want to, can we do something where we learn a lot more about where our residents are from? You know, where like, we want to know where their, what their communities are like. And so um, I forget the original text from the workshop we, we do. We just have been re- recycling actually previous residents' works as examples instead of like the main piece to keep this riff. So we'll show them that example and then we'll say like, I think the writing prompt is like start writing just like I come from, but repeat the process every single time. So this is why you saw like, I come from like, this is like how my family is. This is how my community is. Um, this is how the people are to really paint you a picture of like their, their home environment, what they, what they call home. So. Zach, I'm speechless. Like literally I had goosebumps the entire time you read it. Thank it you. is so powerful and just like actually brought tears in my eyes when I heard the line um where kids where kids can't play without worrying about Mm -hmm. and I just like immediately thought of my children and you know how I've never been worried about that in this situation but how other people like that's a real day-to-day fear for a lot of people and as a mother that's like the scariest thing you could think of you know Of like, can I, do I have to worry about my kids even going outside to play, you know? Exactly. Um, Thank you so much for sharing such a powerful piece. Um, 
gosh, it's like hard to even <laughs> move on. I'm still processing that. But I do want to know about your own writing. Um, one of my side passions is also creative writing. And I'm just so curious what you're up to, what you're writing, what do you, you know, where do you hope your passion for writing leads you one day? So I still, yeah, I still write. Um, and we were talking about this earlier. Like, I think one of the things I love about my job is like, I can still write in our workshops. And I think that's really important too, because I don't think I'd be a really good facilitator if I was, if I didn't write alongside our residents, you know, if I'm just like, Hey, do this. And I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> that's just not, you're not modeling the right. behavior that you want, you know? Um, and, and it's really important too, because I will always sort of break the ice and share first, even if it's really bad, which I love sometimes. I'm like, Hey, this is trash, <laughs> but I'm still going to read it. And really quick sidebar story, which is really so funny. So when I was going through um, sort of my old work, we did this rap workshop once. And I, it was actually, like, mine is so bad. But it's so bad because I don't have this <laughs> talent of writing lyrics. Like, people who have to write lyrics with, like, on a rhythm and beat to a song is completely, utterly difficult. And so <laughs> I remember when I wrote it, and I was really, I was feeling really good about it then I shared it and people were just like, mm, yes, that was, wow, delightful. You know, it, it's just, but it totally wasn't, it was totally awful. But I just had to like get it out there make it awkward, make it fun because otherwise, you know, it's not really impactful at that point. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm still writing. I write um, very slowly. Like I have, I use my notes app on my phone all the time, particularly just cause like I'll have lines that just will come to me and I'm like, Ooh, that sounds really good. And then I'll like put it in my notes. And then whenever, if I'm in, in any moment where I'm waiting. So if I go to a doctor's office, I'm like going to my barber and I need to wait. I'll like pull it up and like start just like adding line by line. I will, I will share a secret with the world right now, how I write. And I, I, I shared it with um, a friend of mine. So the way I write, and I, it came from Phil Metris actually too, of like never deleting. So if you write something on your computer, this is why I, I have two processes, but Sometimes I'll, I'll start with like paper and then I'll transfer it to computer and then work from there. But I will always, I'll write line by line. So one line, I'll get it nice and right and perfect because that's just how my brain works. And then I'll keep moving forward and never delete. So if I, I will literally keep writing the same line maybe a thousand times, but I'll keep track of the how it transformed. Wow. That makes sense. Um, and I started doing that recently because I like to see like how drafts become like that final product which is so neat um especially too when we do like a revision workshop with our residents i'm like hey like this is something that i wrote on this day and time and, like this is the final product maybe like six months later so they're like it really captures of like you know whatever you write in this workshop isn't the final product it's just mm -hmm. a start of something um beautiful to to just live forever you know um so i'm still writing um let okay. me see are you i'm sorry i i yeah, you said, what am I still working on? What am I writing? And then, oh, so yeah, I think I mentioned to you too, like I, I want to publish my own chapbook one day or my own book of poetry. I mean, who, who doesn't? I think that'd be so <laughs> um, great. One thing that has really changed and, and bettered my own writing is I, decide, I decided who I was writing my writing for. Like I remember when I started to fall in love with writing in high school, I wanted like this outside gratification. Like I was like, yo, can you read this? And I wanted people to like, like my own stuff, right. which is okay at a certain point. You know what I mean? But I, I generally write because I honestly, one, think it's really funny or I'm trying to figure out an, an answer to a question that I have. Um, so a lot of times, like I won't even share anything I, I write because I'm just writing it for me. So I'll come back to it and like, oh, okay, wait, I'm, I'm, you know, just like processing mm -hmm. whatever this is. So if I do end up sharing it, it's at a point of like, I really, really, really like this piece. It gets at something that, you know, it's really in close with, this is the hardest thing in the world. You have this thought, but you, tr you want to articulate it as best as possible on paper for mm -hmm. someone else to know that relationship, you know, because mm -hmm. you can't, you can't transplant, you can't transplant thoughts. Like I can't send you what I'm thinking to you to exactly feel yeah. and know, but I think that's the beauty of, um, of writing of our, our, of our craft. You know, we want to put people in our own shoes, so to mm -hmm. speak. Well, I think you're an amazing writer and that was three years ago, you know, <laughs> <laughs> writing class, so. thank you so much. Yes. I really appreciate that. 
So you said um, on the side, if you're not doing your writing or working with writers and residents that you like being on Instagram, doing community conversations. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about that side passion? Yes. So our, the, I've been doing these community conversations on my Instagram for a year and the anniversary is going to be tomorrow. So October 6th. And it started because uh, yeah, I'm just going to share the story. Hey, why not? You know, why so not? my, my partner and I got into this conversation about, uh, corporal punishment. You know, when you, when you are with someone, you sort of have all these like hypothetical questions of like, Hey, what do you think about this? Like parenting? What do you think of, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I was really sharing my own personal experience of how I was raised, uh, where corporal, corporal punishment was like, I mean, if you got really in trouble, if you did something really bad, like you were going to get spanked. Right. So we started talking about the difference between spanking and what things and so on and so forth and how she's perceived it differently. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait, what are you talking, you know what I mean? And sort of, we sort of just have to deal with that. And so we eventually encountered a huge disagreement. And, and this time is like a millennial, right? It's just like, you know what? I'm just gonna put a poll out there and see what other people think. So that's what we did. I was like, hey, I wanna know about your experience if you've gone through X, Y, Z. And the question was pretty much like, you know, do you think it's traumatic for to like spank your children or something like, stuff like that. And out of that really birthed this entire thing. So the concept is to facilitate an anonymous dialogue. So I'll put whatever question is on there and I will, I will not share anyone's identity about the responses, but they can, they can just share whatever it is on the question or, or whatever story related to that topic. They'll DM me and we can sort of go back and forth deeper into the conversation. I'll take screenshots of that conversation, put it on, post it on my story. Other people will read it and sort of comment from there. Um, and most of the feedback from that has been really, it's been really incredible, honestly. Like it has really changed me because at the end of this like corporal punishment conversation, uh -huh. I learned so much more about uh, like how you should discipline a child. And I was like, wow. Like a lot of, a lot of my friends who are in like, um, who are counselors, but also health professionals prescribe books that they had read like in school that was like this new progressive practice of like how you discipline mm -hmm. a child. And I was like, I'm writing this down, keeping this forever. So when the time comes, yes. um, you know, um, so that's the one thing I'm really passionate about too, because I don't have a lot of time, like spend time with friends, but this is one way I can still engage with a lot of my friends who don't live in Cleveland um, about things that we all deal with in life. So the conversations really range. Like that was the yeah, first and one. And learn a lot in the process. You know? Exactly. Especially not being a parent. It's not like you have all these parents. Exactly. Health, you know. Exactly. So the conversations range from literally everything. Like I've done, um, we talked about food, music, uh, race before, of course. Uh, yeah. But if, you do, if, you, if anyone wants to check it out, it's on Instagram. The new account is at con combos, like community conversation so c-o-m-c-o-n-b-o-s nice i'm gonna check it out yeah Thanks. please do okay. yeah. <laughs> so you're also in um a master's for nonprofit administration right now so yep. i was just wondering um you know what are your hopes and dreams for that as well so with that um and I'm really happy that John Crow has that because I've done I sort of searched around in Cleveland and I wanted to you know, I wanted to get a master's. I got, well, one, I love school. So like, it was only a matter of time <laughs> of me returning. Honestly, I know I wanted to take a few years um, off to, to really just like be my own person a little bit. I, I think a immediately after I graduated, I loved not having homework. Mm -hmm. Like that is one of the best feelings of just like, I have nothing over my head. Ah. Exactly. And it but, takes some soul searching to figure out yes. what exactly do I want my MA in? You yes. Know? And like, I think that's why I love the MA and nonprofit because sort of, you know, working with non with writers and residents, but because I know like this is a field that I want to become an expert in, right. I'm more driven to learn and do the reading and really dive in, you know? So that's, that's honestly my advice to people who, who just graduate. Like I have friends, well, you know, a lot of student volunteers I work with and sometimes they'll ask me about that. I'm like, just, if you can, I would take a year or two or whatever, just sure. let yourself breathe and sort of figure out, what is that one expertise or field you would want to dive deeper in? Um, so the one reason I came for master's in nonprofit, because I wanted to gain as many skills as a nonprofit professional. And, you know, I, 
I want to be able to be an executive for not only writers of residence, but other organizations that I can have an impact on uh, later, later in life. Like that's just really, really important to me. That's awesome. I'm glad you're so happy with your program too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's just, I think and it's also applicable. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, your own experience is feeding into your studies. Exactly. It's so exactly. exciting when that really jives. I mean, that makes paying for the education well worth it. Because I'm like, hey, I'm paying for this. We're, leading, we're learning about this. And the next day you wake up, you're like, oh, yeah, you got to write this grant. Good thing I learned about that last week, you know. So I apply this. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Good. So on Friday, I watched the documentary that you brought to campus um, with the Cleveland International Film Festival. My husband and I are huge fans of CIFF. Nice. Yes, we've been going for years. Obviously, it was virtual this year, but I was really excited. I watched since I've been down. And, um, you know, it's so many parallels between, I think, what you're trying to do in Raiders in Residence and what I saw in the movie. And I right. guess a few things that struck me, and one was just, and you've hinted on it in our conversation already, was like the background and the upbringing mm, of, yeah. um, of the inmates. And I, and I was sort of struck, I've been, I was reading some Richard Rohr and he's a Franciscan, sort of very popular um, Catholic uh, speaker on different topics. And, and he was talking about the idea of evil. And he's like, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not even convinced anyone could ever be evil because people learn to love and they learn to hate, you know, they grow up in an environment that very is true. like nurturing or it's not. And so they really almost, you know, don't even have a choice in this question, you know, in this question of yes. quote unquote evil. And I think that comes out in this movie so clearly. I didn't know if, if you had anything to say on that. On the back oh my God, yes. I'm actually, I'm actually really excited you watched the film. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I loved it. It was oh, really wow. powerful. So I, this, this, this is really fascinating. And I think, I'll, wow, okay, I'm just going to take my time with this. Because now we're in America at a point in time, we're sort of reckoning with a lot of past, right? That's, that's true. We see that all the time. And that past influencing our current, you know, state and our future, right? So, and since I've been down when they sort of, they have a, they track a timeline of community that has been redlined and impacted by drugs, uh, like the crack epidemic that kind of mentioned, but also I would say, militarized police enforcement too like there's so many variables that were like concentrated on a single population mm -hmm. that resulted to that population just being mass incarcerated mm -hmm. and so at a point in time you sort of have to break down okay i mean what's how how are we as a community as a society setting up this community for success like when i was even when i watch other documentaries or read other things there wasn't anything to be successful about for that community itself and this is total sidebar, but outside of my work with Rise Residence, if I get another job, I really want to just explore um, home, like housing. Housing is so fascinating to me because it ha it's rooted and has influenced so much. Yes. And, like, for example, like a, with the redlining issue, a lot of communities that have been redlined are predominantly black and brown, but most of them have um, projects, so to speak, are like these ghettos, right? And so these lower, lower social and economic communities are usually targeted by police uh, from the jump. Like that's just always, that's just the case because it's, um, I don't know, for whatever reasons people want to believe, but it's just higher concentrated for a lot of things to happen. So when you say like there isn't really a choice in the matter, it, it kind of isn't. Like sometimes you're just born into a life in whatever hand that you have, right? And so, I mean, yeah, you have this like this quote unquote choice, but if every variable is against you. Exactly. What, you know what I mean? And this is, this is one thing that I, I one of my, some of my volunteers are informed about just through, you know, getting to know a lot of the residents. Um, it's, I hate to say this, but sometimes it's like born at the wrong place at the wrong time mm -hmm. or being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just, I, I always think about this. This is the one of the things that really keeps me up um, because how can we just be better? That's like the final, that's like my thing. Like, how can we be better? How can we expect better? Um, but anyway, the point I was trying to get at is most of the residents make a decision to survive. 
Like if you know that your single parent mother has like two jobs, not going to be home between time and you have like siblings to take care of, it's a matter of survival. You know, you have some responsibility given to you at a younger age that an adult should have. Yes. So you're making decisions that like you really don't really know the consequences of, but you know that like you're taking care of yourself and those around you that you love. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of time, that's what it comes down to. And, and so, the movie really sort of took that deep dive into people's lives. Exactly. In history. So when you start talking about the choices too, and that nourish, that nourishment or that, um, that positive reinforcement too, I think when they start talking about the gang aspect, a lot of that it has that, right? And I think, um, I think, yeah, in our community, like, in just society, like we, there is a huge negative connotation of gangs. I'm not promoting gangs or whatever. I'm saying there are certain aspects that people associate themselves to because there's a lack of something. Exactly. There's a lack of stability. There's a lack of love, right? But like this gang and this group are going to support you. They're going to make sure you are clothed and fed and so on and so forth. And so, I mean, why wouldn't you have loyalty and trust and respect for these group of people that have taken care of you? Mm-hmm. You know, so, but, but ultimately that has, that's a symptom of a greater issue um, of like, why do these ex- exist in the first place? What have they all lacked? Um, is it education, healthcare, employment, housing, everything else? Parents, really- you know, exactly. Parents not on drugs, like the one story of the mother who was an addict. And- yes. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Like kids have to deal with things that are way beyond their maturity level. And way given- beyond. Yeah. And given a, like no role models to even turn to, you mm-hmm. know. And um, it, and it, I think it, I like the progression how they did in the movie because you know a lot of the like Camante, Camante who was like the main protagonist, mm-hmm. so to speak, in the movie, like he was an incarcerated until he was like I think seventeen, eighteen, so he was like super young. But the way that he was raised was like, oh, I'm top dog, I'm doing this, mm-hmm. and then sort of how he came to restore himself through the people that he surrounded himself within the system, but also like the, his education. So I think that was really transformative for him, but also for like viewers to see of like, wait a minute, like he actually took a whole 180 turn and now he's sort of giving back to everyone else to create a space where, you know, we have these resources, like everyone in here is like super smart. So like, let's educate ourselves about the things that we know best. Um, and, and it was the, almost like they come to this conversion moment. Exactly. Which is so powerful to see. Yeah. Like even when, so in the point of the film, I'm, I'm sorry for like spoiling it for anyone, but I just go watch it, honestly, um, where they have that, it's like a symposium so almost, but it's like that, that conference. So like the Black Caucus Conference, right. where, the one, where the one superintendent was like really hesitant of like having this on. You know, remember he was like, oh, I'm just going to go say a few words or whatever. He's like, I said a few words. And then I stayed for the rest of the meeting. And I was like, I mean, that's, that's really important because a lot of people who do, and I don't want to say benefit from this institution, but it is a, it is a form of benefit of you being in charge and being in this pla- in this position of power. Um, for, so I'm really thankful that he allowed them to have this opportunity, but also that he allowed himself to be changed because he could have easily left. Right. And I think the same thing happens for our work as well. Like, how can we impact the youth, which is, of course, by far, like, the number one priority. Mm-hmm. But, you know, through our work, when they see our residents act a certain way or say certain things or reveal themselves differently, that affects the staff that works with them all the time. I'm only there for a good hour and a half, you know. They're there seven days a week, number of hours, you know what I mean? So that is a greater impact. And so when we talk about role models, too, sometimes that relationship is so important. Like I've seen staff who really love on some of the youth and like how that has a positive impact, you know? Like I remember some youth just calling like so-and-so like mama or something like that because that's like the mom figure to them. Um, or they have like these male role models who they sort of like mess with. They have like a little play banter or whatever, but you, you can see that it has a positive impact on how it makes them feel. And then you have other people, they won't even acknowledge that they exist in a room. And I'm like, how did, how did you get to that point? Like, what did, what happened for y'all to just not even acknowledge each other's existence, you know? Um, so I was really happy that in the film, it sort of showed that because that's really important. You need people who are inside the system to be changed and to champion for the actual rehabilitation of those who were incarcerated. Do you, are you privy to see some of these conversion moments yourself in your work? 
Some, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen a lot. Um, but I've, those are the moments where I lean back on when like, of course, like things are getting super bureaucratical mm-hmm. uh, or I'm just getting like really stressed out with stuff. And because that's when I know, or that's when I've visibly seen this person has changed that like, we keep coming, we keep doing the same process. And then they're just like, I get it now. Like I totally, I understand how I feel about myself and where I want to go and how I can get there to my destination. Um, so it's, it's happened a few times. The story that I don't know how much time we have, but I'm going to share this quick story. Um, the story that I've told a few times, right, is from my, the very beginning years of Riders and Residence. So we were at uh, Cuyahoga Hills Juvenile Correctional Facility and there was this, this resident, his name was Zero. And one day in workshop, like prior context, he was always kind of like really talkative, wouldn't really write, wouldn't really bother people. It was kind of a pain, really. Uh, and, but he, but he, he would write, and he would write really good things. And that's why we, why kind of, we kind of kept him around because I was like, "Yo, you're a really good writer. Like, you just need to like stop bothering other people when they write." <laughs> you know, that, that was the only thing. <laughs> and so one day, um, so I think something happened before our workshop. So a lot of the uh, residents were talking about whatever that incident was, being super loud, and we're trying to get them all. Um, on topic and they're just not listening and he ends up snapping like he just like yells and like the entire room goes quiet so a small little piece of context like there are usually like, these dynamics in the workshop of like who is uh like who, do, who who's the youth that people look up to like what 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 power do they have so when he said something people were like oh like zero has spoken so we won't be quiet and so when he spoke and everyone got quite quiet, he kind of went on this just like long rant of just like, listen, like the, they come in here every week to do this or whatever. And y'all just don't get it. Y'all just still care about these small little fights or dollars and stuff. And he kind of kept going on and on about, and you could say he, he was articulating the change that he arrived to. Right. Like, I'm tired of being in this place. Y'all have not seen this yet, but I have, and I'm trying, they're trying to help us get there. Yes. And so the rest of the workshop was like quiet. That gives me goosebumps. Like, it was like, so, so then I remember maybe it was like next semester he was released. And so, you know, and sometimes like, you know, that's, that's a good thing. We're always like, you know, it's a good, it's like bittersweet, right? Because we love, we love working with them, but we love seeing them out in the world back where they need to be in their community. Mm-hmm. So I remember, I remember we, you know, came in and we're like, Hey, like, where's so-and-so? Like, is he going to come back with us? You know, where's he at? And they're like, Oh, he got released. Well, and then like the room got super quiet and I was like, this is really weird. Like, this is like week one. Yeah. I usually like super hyped to see us. <laughs> and they, I started to have to like ask like prod, like what, you know, what, what, come on, like what, how's he doing? Have y'all heard? And they had said like, he had like passed away. <sighs> they said that he, the, he was in a, a police standoff in his house and they, they shot his house up and they killed him. Oh my God. And that was, that was the first time like doing this work where I, I, I honestly, like, I think we drove home from like campus, like to campus and like cry. Like I remember I went back to my dorm. I was like, so sad. That was like the first big death that I had seen like from a resident, like someone that I had known we'd worked with or whatever. And everyone in our workshop too that 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 first one was like super impacted too they were like dang you know so it, it's yeah it's it's really difficult but that's one of the instances where he understood he got out he did everything he needed to do to get out but just still a matter of environment and mm-hmm. wrong place wrong time that just led to him unfortunately passing away oh, but one of the one of the smartest people that i've ever met um I remember when we were getting to know him, one of our student volunteers, a still close friend of mine, Paul Gehrig, he, at the time, Paul was reading a bunch of like philosophy books, like Paul like Thoreau and all this other stuff. And so they would always go back and forth about these philosophers that they had read, just casually. And really? I'm, sitting on, I'm sitting on the side, like, what in the world are y'all talking about? <laughs> and like, he would like give Paul book recommendations, like, hey, have, have you read this? Like, I'm going to be reading this soon, da 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 and I'm, yeah, and like just the That's smartest amazing. person. That is amazing. So sorry yeah. that took up so long. No, uh, that was such a powerful story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, when yeah. you were talking about um, the fights in the prison, it made me think of the, um, the film since I've been oh, down. Oh, yes. And how it, how it's, how they notice such a difference yes. in less fights, better behavior, 
like, I mean, it was like night and day because of this teach program that was yes. going on. Um, and so, I mean, I'm imagining or hoping that you guys are working toward the same goal. You know? Oh my gosh. Yes. And, and sometimes we, you know, I ask that to some of the, the staff people of like, um, just, you know, how have our program impacted just general behavior of the youth, you know, right. like I'll give you two examples. One time, like, so in the spring at, uh, in Overland, Loring County, whatever, um, I was observing both sides. So like the facility is designed for a male side and a female side. And in between those sides is like a control room with like a glass, a one-way glass, right? So I'm just looking at both sides, like, you know, watching our student volunteers in action. And I'm just talking to the staff people and I'm just like, hey, are the youth ever like this quiet? Like, do they ever behave like this with anyone else? And they're like, no, like, <laughs> I have never seen them disengaged ever. And I've been here for like a number of years. And so when I hear that, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, we, you know, that's, that's motivation for me, for us to keep coming and to keep doing the work that we're doing. But then also hopefully sinks into the, to the, the staff that like our, our program has benefit. Like we're helping them, mm -hmm. even though they're allowing us, they're helping us too. And sometimes that message doesn't get across, you know, but it, it definitely does. Because like when we come, it's like in the evening, they've had an entire day, maybe of like school and some other stuff. So they're pretty riled up. So when we come in and they're like nice, calm and relaxed, that means like the staff can be all relaxed too. Mm. You know, it's just like, let's, let, let's just hang out, chill. It doesn't have to be this whole enforcing babysitting environment. Like there's not, there's no need, you know? Um, the other side of that too is like when we go to like one of the prisons, you know, prisons, most of the time, the youth that come to our program, it's contingent on them having good behavior, like no rule violations or anything like that. So they know in order to be called down to our, for our program again, like they have to be on their, they, they have to just not get in trouble. Oh. You know what I mean? Granted, sometimes like they get blamed for certain things or well, you know, like life happens, right? <laughs> and it's really, that contingency was from like the facility itself on how they, their philosophy is on, on programs. You know, we're only going to grant programming to youth who do X, Y, Z. And that's just one of the collaborative aspects of this work. Like, I can't come in and be like, yo, no, we're going to do this, to fit it up. Because it's not my facility. It's not how they run things. We have to com completely meet each other in the middle. I'm like, okay, if that's how you want to do it, that's totally fine with us. If they have whatever violation and they can't come that week and they come next week, I'm totally fine with that. Um, so most of the time, like, that rarely happens. So we'll have a group 10, 15 residents. Once they come that first week they like it, you know, some dwindle off because they might have other conflicts or whatever. They stay the entire time. And the only time, and the only time they don't come is if they have like a visit um, or it's church. Those literally the only two things. Like if they're like, Oh, so-and-so like their dad came or whatever. He's like in a visit right now. Or they're like, Oh, they had like this uh, prayer service. Like they're at, they're at church right now. I'm like, okay, cool. You know? Uh, but other than that, like. That's that, powerful fact. That's great. And when you were mentioning church, it made me think about how, and I'm not implying that the residents see it this way or even you, mm -hmm. are, but, but for me, I see writing as almost a spiritual process because oh, you're yeah. like getting in touch with your deeper, deeper, you know, if it's yearnings or desires or, you know, like some anger you need to work out or, you know, I, I read this book called The Artist's Way. I don't know if you've heard of it, but. The okay. Yeah. It's really popular. And the, the woman's argument is that all of us are born with this desire to create. Yes. And that could be either writing, it could be painting, it could be an art of like throwing the, the footballs, the so perfect that it spirals in the air or, you know, but there's some <laughs> yeah. like desire in us to create beauty. And yes. obviously it looks different for everybody, but like when we don't express that, we're like actually suppressing a real spiritual side of us, mm -hmm. like this side that connects with the creator through creation. Um, I'm going to use that. Thank you. I'm going to yeah. definitely use that. Good. And I see it, you know, now I don't know if the residents would see it that way, but I, I really do as I see it as a spiritual quest. I mean, it has to be, you're trying to get in touch with parts of yourself that you know, maybe you've never met before. Yes. So this is actually really re relevant to what just happened recently. So like with, you know, COVID-19, we've been working with some facilities for remote workshops. Mm -hmm. And um, last week we had a workshop. We had some new 
uh, residents that we were working with, sort of getting them up to speed in the whole process. And at the end, I just do a small check-in, like, hey, how did you think this was? You know, the general consensus is like, it was I, you know, it was just like, <laughs> it, was, it was okay, it was cool, whatever. But then there was one, there was one resident who said, you know, I don't know, because this was really different. I had never done anything like this before. And I could see that, like, she was, you know what I mean? Because in our workshops, I, I, I just... I'm always asking follow-up questions. Like that's my rule of thumb. If you say something to me and I'm really curious about it, which I am because I'm a very nosy person, I'm always going to be like, Hey, can I ask you a follow-up question? And then I tell them, you can say yes or no. Like I, you know, and they usually say yes. And I ask them a follow-up question, but it's usually related to about what they said. So it's like this active engagement piece where I want them to expand more and go deeper within themselves about what they just said, because sometimes we can just be saying stuff. You know, it's so, it's so easy for us to be on autopilot and just be like, nah, nah, nah. but when someone's like, <laughs> when someone verbatim says what you said and asks a question about it, you're like, hold on, wait a minute. Did I, one, did I just say that? Why are you asking me this question? And then like, now I have to think about what I just said. You know, it's just like there's the, all these layers. Um, so it definitely, you're, it definitely does become spiritual in, in a certain sense. Even, even two, I think at the end. So like once they write, everything and they share and they read what they wrote since so, i mean i can't i don't get this have a clear image anymore because like this whole remote aspect but even in person sometimes like they wouldn't share or like publish what they want what they wrote because it's so close to them they're just like no nah, i'm not gonna give this to you i'm gonna hang on to this for a little bit like a real i kind of just want to like keep working on it. right right you know and so you see so sort of tap tapped in into a space yes where they want to dig deeper in uh, and I think that relates to what you said about the spiritual aspect of, you know, you're exploring mm-hmm. different parts of you. Exactly. And, yeah, we, we've definitely heard a lot of that too. And just, and it's, I, again, this is what we talked about earlier, but all this difference, you know, we don't, I'm, I'm not going to rag on English majors, but I don't generally just recruit to all English majors for our workshops. I think that'd be completely boring and academic. Like that's just not fun. <laughs> we have a lot of, different disciplines that come to our workshops, which I love. Like we have people who are in the business field, psychology, English education, whatever, right? And I think that informs our workshops really well because we'll talk about works in different aspects. Mm -hmm. The way you see something is completely different how I'm gonna see something. And like, how can we talk about that and interpret it differently, but also just get to a conversation? Um, I think that over time helps them understand that like you don't have to we don't all have to think the same way and I don't I don't think we all should um, and so yeah it's just because a lot of the a lot of the experience that we're going to go through in life is people are going to disagree with us how do we deal with that disagreement how can we find agreement in that disagreement you know mm-hmm. to begin with so that's very awesome. thank you very I can talk language. to you all day Zach I don't want to end <laughs> I'm sorry for taking up so much time. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, this is this has been such a great conversation. I've I've learned so much from you. Um, so thank you. And I wanted to just, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and 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 sharing yeah, your story you. and and founding this amazing um writers in residence initiative. Um and also just wondering if maybe we could conclude today with reading a little bit of your own work. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna yes. So I'll give, should I give background before or after? What do you prefer? Do before. Do before, okay. So with a lot of my work with uh, Writers Residence, you know, it, I have to travel a lot of, of, of Ohio. On the map, it's not a big place. I'm in person, Ohio is huge. All, <laughs> it, is, it is literally so massive. Like I, I remember having to drive from Cleveland to Marietta. And if you're not familiar with Marietta, it's like the, the first homestead of Ohio. It's like the founding place, right? So I remember driving, it's like two and a half hours, maybe more, but it's like on the border of like West Virginia. And I think it was around this time too. Like, so like when the leaves and everything are changing mm-hmm. and it's like really nice. What is that highway? Like 71 South or something like that? I don't know. Sure. So I remember going back and forth and I drive alone. I love driving alone. It's just time for me to think. I love driving in general because it's just like I'm thinking and processing my thoughts and just talking out loud to myself. It's completely mm-hmm. normal. And so this piece kind of came about when I'm imagining 
a relationship that I would want to have with a, with a daughter one day and mm. sort of like on this journey. Right. So Beautiful. the title is called a dragon in between the highway. We drove West from Charlotte toward the rock, the smoky mountains to sleep over in the home of black bears, white tailed deer, slimy salamanders and elusive monarchs. The drive is four and a half hours long with a single stop for doing number one or two, getting gas or snacks, or seeing the small, timeless towns, cities, city center. My kid turns five this year, but she acts three times her age. She saw me this weekend, or during, quote unquote, my weekend, as her mom calls it, which fills me up with pride, joy, as quickly as it drains me of shame, self-loathing, because like most young black men in America, I don't have much. I don't have custody. I have child support. I have visitation rights. That's two weekends every month. That's to catch up on the love. That's too little time. To pass the time on the road, I will ask something like, who put whipped cream mountains in the sky? My daughter will respond with, when will the M's, O's, and zeros mean something? And when, I'm sorry, and we will continue this game until one of us outpoets the other and says, I don't know. I, like the single mother who raised me on food stamps and social security, am proudly competitive. I, like my sole responsibility who matured me after her loud and bloody birth, don't like the sour, sticky, dehydrating taste of defeat left in my mouth. A mouth smacking its lips together, which is the equivalent to a pity clap. Minutes away from arriving to our campsite, deep inside the southern Appalachian mountain range, my baby girl asks, why is a dragon in between the highway? I looked over and there it was, this giant green dragon-like hill roller-coastering red maples and ivory dividers above ground and exposing its blocky, cracked sandstone scales through the earth's surface alongside us. I don't know, sweetheart, I said. I don't know. Zach, I love it. You're so talented. Thank you so much. I really thank you for allowing me to share that piece. I really My son that. celebrates his fifth birthday this weekend. Hey, happy birthday. <laughs> no, just made me think. Your writing is so beautiful. For everyone listening, Zach Thomas is going to be super famous one day. Keep him on your list. <laughs> Look for his book of poetry as soon as it comes out. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Um, this has been the Faith That Does Justice podcast. Stay well, be healthy. We're signing out here. Goodbye. Bye.